Hi, and welcome to Better Than the Movie. I am Jeanette. She is Tamika, and we are here talking books. How are you today, my friend? I'm all right. <laughs> I'm feeling a little, eh, you know, like when you need to get your braids redone, but you got to wait till Friday, <laughs> that kind of, <laughs> okay. that kind of, just, you know, eh. I get it. Yeah. Meh. I literally have to get my twist redone on Friday, so I'll, I'll feel like a new woman after. Uh, otherwise, I'm doing okay. How are you? Nothing like a new hairdo to make you feel like a new woman. I am okay. So, that's it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, the people can find us on the internet. <laughs> it's so many places. So, we just go skip the rest of the how are you doing? I had a question. Oh, you had a question? Go ahead. It's okay. No, go ahead. Never mind. Go ahead. So where can people find us on the internet? <laughs> no, I don't, now I want to know the question. We can talk about it offline. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. People can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash better than the movie. They can also shoot us a Gmail, an email on Gmail, better than the movie at gmail.com, and our Twitter is at better, better than, than, yay, better than to you, right on, um, yep, oh, you know, oh, we have a Google voice, but, yeah, I don't call, so, okay, so, but if you ever want to, we will always be ready to listen, one day we should tell people why they can't, we don't use hashtag BTTM, <laughs> Have we talked about this on air before? We have not ever talked about this on air, but for anyone who may be curious as to why that is not our show's hashtag, just go on Twitter and search that hashtag one good time. Um, you trigger warning. Make sure <laughs> that you are in an area that is safe for you to view content that may not be safe for work. Yes. That's all we're going to say. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah, so reach out to us. We appreciate it. We'd like to know you guys are listening. We know you guys are listening, but we'd like to talk, communicate, all that jazz. Yeah, cheers. All right. Into who? We are bound and determined not to give y'all an hour and a half episode, <laughs> so <laughs> we are moving right along. Um, so the words almost just tripped out of my mouth, so... <laughs> The Ghost Set of Watchmen came out. Yeah, this, it did. Actually, today. Yesterday? Yep. No, yes, today. today. I don't today. know what my days are. Today is, yeah. yeah. Today. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yay. Congrats to the shady people in Harper Lee's estate and all the coin they're about to make. <sighs> Do you? <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay, so people have not heard, you guys haven't heard us talk very much about this book at all. I think we mentioned that it was coming someday, um, you know, like 15 episodes ago or something, but we haven't really talked very much about it, and we haven't really, I don't remember that we've ever gotten really deep into the ethics behind releasing this book or, you know, any sort of speculation about how the book is go going to be. Um, and my, I cannot speak for you, but my primary 
reason for never really speaking about that is because I don't care. I don't, I don't, like, I don't, um, care. I feel like there, <laughs> I feel like there is, um, I mean, it's obvious to me, like, what's happening here with her, these people find, you know, quote-unquote, finding this book and asking her if it's okay to be published, and I think it's kind of clear, you know, like, this is what happened, we don't need to speculate about whether or not they did this or whether or not it was shady or whether or not she consented. I mean, and even if she did consent, I mean, she might just be like, you know, YOLO, like, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> release it. <laughs> Who cares? See what it does. You don't, I mean, we don't know, and we probably will never know, and I just never really got the, you know, the, you know, I was never up in arms about it. Like, I just, because if they didn't release it now, they sure as hell were going to, are going to release it when she passes away. Um, and so, I just kind of felt like, well, are they the first people to do this? I don't think so. So, um, yeah, what were your thoughts since we never talked about it before? Uh, so, we never, well, I never talked about it because I don't care as well. Um, the reason I don't care is a different reason. So this is where y'all might take my literary nerd card away, but I really, I'm going to stand in my truth. I didn't really go up for it to kill a mockingbird. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't like waiting with bated breath for Ghost of the Watchmen. Right. So, me neither. So, <laughs> I didn't go, I liked To Kill a Mockingbird. I thought, you know, writing-wise, you know, from all of the different standpoints of what makes a good book, it's a good book. And I understand why it's so universally liked. What I did never, like, went crazy about the message or the theme or the this is, you know, such a revolutionary revolutionary book for the time. Like, I never really took it any further than I took any other book. Like, it was like, okay, that's another story, great. But I never held it. And honestly, I never knew that so many people held this book to this, like, high regard, and it was it meant so much to people. There was an article on something, some, something about how a lot of people have named their children after these book characters, and um so can we their pets yes so <laughs> so yeah okay so a lot of people i've seen um like articles and just different um tweets and stuff about how uh, so many people named their sons atticus after atticus finch because he was just such an exemplary man mm -hmm. and I failed to see what was so exemplary about him being as how he did with probably any other average white man in the 50s would have done who had some sort of decency about himself. Like, right. So he, he defended an, in an innocent man. If you have any sort of decency, you will always seek what is right. But that didn't mean that he wasn't necessarily one who held problematic views when it came to race. Like, he wasn't fellowshipping with the Black people in town. You know what I mean? Like, right, and he wasn't I, he, I didn't he, get what made him so, such a stand-up guy when he just see, did very and I I'm sorry, sorry. I always interpreted um, that character or thought of that character as someone who 
believed in the law and, you know, who loved the law and who was, you know, one of those people that held the Constitution to a standard, I mean, that held the Constitution to a high esteem and really felt um, strongly about equality as it is written in the law. So I never got that Atticus Finch was this great social justice warrior who was there for, um, who was there for blacks and who was about equality. I never got that. I always got that he was about the law and the law should be applied to whomever because it doesn't, you know, distinguish, right? Yeah. So then when I hear that people have named their children after this man, I'm like, why? Like, that that character wasn't even round, well-rounded enough for you to know that he was, I mean, he was doing his job, essentially. That's kind of how I felt. So I'm like, his job, he to me, like I said, it was more about him loving the law than the than seeing black people as human beings. And I think that it was kind of, I, I was out of my, like, I don't know, I couldn't wrap my brain about around writing this character where, you know, especially, I think I could see, like, if it was a bio, like a, a biographical, like, uh, style fictions or what, like, kind of told his life story and this is who he is and you get to see all these aspects of him and then you name your child after him because oh, he's yeah. this really solid, well-rounded person, but this is just this person in the context of this situation, right? And so... Um, you saw a of who he was as a person. As right. A fully, right. A fully fleshed out character. and Because, like, if... You know, I just think that everybody's all up in arms because now it's like, oh, in Ghost of the Watchmen, he attended a KKK meeting. And you never he, said he didn't attend the KKK. You know what I mean? Like, I don't... I, I haven't read... I wasn't shocked. I... I haven't read I probably won't read um Ghost of the Watchmen until like 2026 but I wasn't like shocked that a white man may have gone to a KKK meeting in 1950s or whatever the hell me neither and I wasn't shocked that um I wasn't shocked because To Kill a Mockingbird never said that he wasn't a racist he never said that he wasn't any of these things and I here's what I, I thought was funny about the premise of the book from what I've read again I haven't read it either but from the premise of the book it says it describes her family as closet racist and I'm like well no wonder this damn thing got rejected when the WTF is a closet racist in 1950s what was it, Alabama or wherever the hell they like seriously so no why would they need to be closeted why wouldn't they just be regular people I think at that time People were just, they were, I mean, you're racist or you felt the way about black folks or whatever, then you just felt the way. Well, wasn't nobody, you weren't going to lose your job or your kids weren't going to get suspended anything, from school. Why they got like promoted or, you know, been touted in the community. Right. Because you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, you know. So why would they be behind the scenes closeted? He wasn't going to lose his job as an attorney um, because he was, he was racist like all, everybody was. So that's kind of. I don't know. It just fell off to me, and I'm like, I, I laughed about it because I felt like all of these years, like, um, you know, Atticus Finch and that story is kind of like where so many um, liberal young white people cut their teeth on this idea of um, standing out in a time. You know, this was a this guy was exemplary in a time where racism and hate was very much the norm. But to me, I was like, okay, like I said, one, he was doing his job, too, but would have really made this book revolutionary for me, like, oh my gosh, is that if um, Harper Lee, uh, the author, had, had, <laughs> had gone a step further and 
you know, imagine the world or imagine the situation where justice actually was served. And she didn't do that. And I was kind of like, all right, okay. So this book wasn't about for, I think, and I am not speaking for all black people. For me, this book wasn't about us. This was about a white girl seeing these things, these kind of injustices or this inequality or this for the very first time. And it was about her. It was very much about her realizing the world outside of her own little sphere and not this black man who is dies because <laughs> of racism. Yeah. And yeah. So I was like, that yeah. book didn't really. Yeah. It didn't touch me in the ways that it touched apparently a whole lot of people on the book to net. Yes. Were you surprised <laughs> at the number of Go people ahead. who had, were you surprised at the number of people who had not read this book? Like I you know, I have heard from a lot of people who said I've never even read To Kill a Mockingbird. I was, and the main reason I was surprised because I thought for sure that it was a staple in like high school literature, like uh, syllabus, syllabi. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Because that's when I read it. I read it in high school, maybe like ninth or tenth grade, I think. Right. Um, and I, I thought it, like almost everybody I know who I grew up with. Um, who went to high schools in different areas. Like we all read that book at some point. Right. So we got a listener letter, right? <laughs> do you want to talk Yo about this did. listener letter? <laughs> I do. Um, first of all, shout out to Ashley, the homie for sending us her thoughts and feelings about, um, to kill a mockingbird as well as go set a watchman. I got this email and I was at work crying laughing because this will put memes in the email and everything. But um, one part of the email that I really want to highlight is when she says, um, I thought what he did was right and decent. And while he did it under stressful circumstances, I'm not erecting monuments for decency, even in an indecent era. Right. right. That's, I mean, like, that's, the, that's the flat out truth. Like, why are we, why are we building monuments for this man who literally did what was right and i mean aren't there like literal atticus finch statues places i feel like i've I'm seen this sure. I'm and sure. i mean there's no greater monument to a, per a person or a character than naming your child after them and i'm not by any stretch of the of of, of any i mean i know people will Anyway, I'm not, you know, laughing at people who name their child. You name your child whatever you want. But given this new information, it's kind of like, so. Um, I'm very you, interested in, like, seeing all of the think pieces that have arisen from this revelation and how these people's, like, the bedstone of their faith and literary characters have been rocked because they found out that this person that they thought was right and just and, right and, just and you know, just so righteous and true ended up being a fallible human being. Yes, yes. And I wonder how many people, I'm not trying to be funny, but I wonder how many people can identify with a character like Atticus, though. And again, saying this without reading the book, how many people that, hell, you and I might know or people who um, were, <clears throat> yeah. So how, how many of our white friends or hell, how many of our black friends know people who are at face value very, great and upstanding and they say all of the right things but secretly they are racist you know um 
I've heard or, you know, listened to other podcasts, and I've heard people say many a times that they've, you know, heard their family members say things are racist. They have family members who are racist, and, I mean, what do you, I don't know. I know what you do, but I'm just saying, like, is this really, this is kind of true to life, maybe. It's absolutely true to life. There's this um, book that I actually want to read this on my TBR list. It's called How I Shed My Skin. Mm -hmm. I'm Learning Racist Lessons of a Southern Childhood by this guy, Jim Grimsley. And he talks about being raised in an environment where racism was, you know, the jam and how he had to basically overcome that. So I'm thinking like, it's not uncommon for, like I said, I feel like I keep repeating myself over and over and saying the same thing, but it's not uncommon for a man who was within that era to behave in the ways in which he's behaving and go set a watchman. Right. So real quickly, I want to talk a little bit about the ratings of this book is received. And so, I mean, not just outside of this kind of big splash, because I think The Guardian released like the first two chapters of it or something. So that's how people kind of came to this. And they've also started reading, obviously. But the a lot of the reviews have been negative and not just because of this, but also just because of things like the dialogue. Uh, Entertainment Weekly wrote a pretty quick and dirty review and gave it a D plus, which coming from Entertainment Weekly, I was, I mean, I'm not saying that their reviewers are not credible, but I was surprised because they're usually pretty forgiving. Um, But they just said it was bad and it read like, I mean, it was a first, it was allegedly a first draft or, you know, (laughs) and the story goes that her editor, whoever said, you know, this flashback to when she was a little girl, that's your story. Fine. And so, but they, I mean, it's being widely panned and I almost just feel like in that respect, I do care on a, on a level of someone who tries to create, don't send out my stuff and publish it before it's ready in in that, in that state, you know what I mean? Because that's where, unfortunately, her legacy is always going to be about To Kill a Mockingbird, but she can't, you can't erase this. Like, she wrote this, you know? So, I don't know. We'll read it someday. You guys can always email us and let us know um, your thoughts about the book if you've read it. <sighs> All right. Yeah. Okay, so... Oh, are we ready? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... Our next segment. OMG. Okay, so we. <laughs> You're not gonna use that, are you? Nope, I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna use it laughing everything. We learned right. a big fish. To yes, in our hearts, in the hearts of many, um, we got to the privilege to interview. Um, one, Tayari Jones, author of Leaving Atlanta, author of The Untelling, author of Silver Sparrow. We are super excited to we have her. To huh? keep fangirl to a minimum. To a minimum. But I was like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe. But here is our interview with. Tayari Jones. I'm just going to start. Um, our first question is Tony. Okay, so Tony Morrison has said that she writes books for and about black people. And you have said that you write to your base, which, um, and I'm getting this from another interview that we read, um, that we discussed on our show before. Um, have you found it difficult to kind of stay true to that and to kind of find success in, in this industry? 
you know, I don't find it difficult to stay true to it because it's just who I am. You know, I don't, I don't sit down to write and think, oh, let me tune into the bass because the bass is me also. You know, I'm part of the bass. So I find it very just natural to, you know, write to the audience that I believe understands me and whom I understand. Um, as far as success in the industry, I think it really depends on what you call success. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, if you are writing to, I think what people euphemistically call a mainstream audience, I mean, it's more, there are more, uh, more people in that group, so I would think theoretically you could probably sell more books if you're, you know, positioning yourself in a different way. But for me, I think of success in just the way that I connect with readers. And, you know, my readers, the base is the base, but I do have a diverse group of readers, and I feel that we make a meaningful connection, and for me, that's what success is. Because most writers aren't making a lot of money. I think that if you start chasing the money, it's just a losing game. You really have to set up just what is success in your heart. It's not about the awards. It's just about, I feel like when you write a book, you put a message in a bottle. And the fact that it reaches anyone's shore and they write you back in many ways, that, that for me is what success is. Okay. <laughs> I don't even so funny that you, that, um, your benchmark for success um, is like how you make the connections and not necessarily if you sell a lot of books or all that stuff because we were having a conversation um, about this uh, last week or the week before um, just talking about you know people's motivation for writing and you know when it seems like people who are writing to make a quick buck or to get all these accolades they don't necessarily write the best <laughs> and uh -huh. so it, it, for for you to say that you measure your success um, with how you touch people's lives, like that is another reason why we stand. And also they touch my life back as well. Uh -huh. I would like to say that. It is such a mutual thing. I had a long time between my second and third books and I mean no one in the industry was checking for me but my readers would write to me and send me little gifts to encourage me to keep going. And it meant so much to me. And I do believe that I have more of a connection with my readers than some of my peers who may have more accolades or something, but they don't have this thing. Like every night I have a blanket that one of my readers knitted for me when I moved to New Jersey because with a note saying it's cold up there. Mm. You know, and that, that's meaningful to me. My readers sometimes send me baked goods, which I eat. People say, oh, you eat them? I'm like, yeah, I eat them. No one's going to. I mean, these are my readers. I consider them gifts, and someone sends me some brownies, I eat them. And it means a lot to me, and that's just how I live my life. And it's how I'm able to sustain myself when things aren't going so well in the, in the writing world. It just, I, it just helps to remind me that there are people out there that care. That is like a dream of mine, if I ever finish anything, is to make that connection. You know, and I you know, you kind of realize that you're not doing it for the big, for the big bucks, but that connection seems like it's a priceless, a priceless thing. Um, so we know, because we're huge fans, that you are a collector of typewriters. I am. Mm -hmm. And you also write on typewriters? I do. Mm -hmm. how, did you, how did you start that? 
Well, you know, I used to write by hand with fountain pens, and I still do. A typewriter is just so much more legible. Okay. I can get caught up in the rapture with my fountain pen. <laughs> and the next day, I'm like, what was that I was saying? You know, it's unclear. So I like that. I like the typewriters because they're so legible. And I also like the typewriters because they, I love making all that noise, like raising that racket. It makes me feel like <laughs> I'm doing something. <laughs> you are. You and are. Too. <laughs> and I also so just love them just as machines. I think they're very beautiful. And I just... They slow you down when you when I'm on a typewriter. I not the typewriter. When I'm on the computer. I feel like I'm writing. It's almost like when you eat too fast, you can't remember what you ate. Mm -hmm. I feel that way about when I type on the computer. I'm typing so fast that I'm not really experiencing the writing. I'm not in the moment. And so the typewriter to me is the perfect medium. It slows you down, but you still get that clear copy at the end. All right. I remember I used to um, own a typewriter. It was one of the first things I started writing with. I was nine years old, and my mom bought me one. And it was, I love that, that thing. I, I get it. It's that text, that kind of, what's the word? <laughs> that You feel it. Like, you feel the keys, and you feel like a, a writer. And you I get that little rewarding little bing at the end <laughs> of the <time. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> was, that is it. That is it. Huh. Okay. Okay, so um, I guess we want to move in a little bit slightly different direction. Um, I really always enjoy the names of your characters in your novels. I always feel, um, I'm always interested to know like how writers decide to choose certain names for certain characters. Like do they just come to you or do you think of like, do you um, associate certain characteristics with certain character names? Um, a, a, the reason why I ask this question is because uh, I remember in the untelling, the names being so like lush, and I was just wondering, like, what made you decide to name, you know, like a main character Ariadne? Or well, I feel like a character name really is a, your. I believe that when, like, when I teach a memoir class, I always ask the students to tell the story of how they got their name because it context your name contextualizes you. And so when I think of a name for a character, I feel like I have a little bit of backstory built in by choosing that name, right? So in the untelling, you know, with her name being Ariadne and her sister being Hermione, is that their mother has these kind of delusions of grandeur. I won't, well, let me not say it like that. That's not fair to her. The mother is kind of, um, you know, she has ambition for her children, and she thinks she's giving them a name that will get attention and make people notice them and think associate them with classical literature. So I felt like there you have it, backstory in the name. So that's one thing I I always like a character's name to feel like a name that person would that person from that family really would have. Okay. And I like and you know I like to play around with you know African American naming traditions, but I I never want to be a writer that seems like I'm making fun of my characters' names. You know how people do that sometimes with black people? Like they accuse people of naming their child Toyota Corolla, you know, or something like that just because a child has an unfamiliar name. So if I give a character an unfamiliar name, I have a reason, and I do it with respect. Yeah, I, I, I get the thing about um, the making fun of names. I, I see that often um, in social media when people will say, oh, you know, name your daughter Mercedes and you can't even afford one or things like that or whatever. Um, and yeah, I, it's unkind. It's unkind. It is really unkind. And like my name is pretty common, um, but people misspell it a lot. And I take that like as a personal affront because I'm like, 
if you're looking at my email address, my name is right there. It's spelled out right. right. Like, why can you not spell it correctly? And so I feel like that's the same sort of thing when people make fun of the names that parents choose to give their children. It's just, you know, it's just discrimination. And even in the untelling, I, there's a character who is, you know, addicted to drugs. And she, you know, she lives in the hood. And I made a point to give her the name Cynthia. I made a rather than give her, you know, some kind of stereotypical name, because I do think that when you already have drug addiction, borderline homelessness, then I was my turn to use the name to pull back, to push back a little bit and to remind the reader that at one point she was someone's baby and they named her Cynthia. Right. I think it's just, I think you just have to write, do make all your decisions writing with an open heart. I like to write a story as though the characters are going to read what I have to say about them, and I, I don't, I want them to think that I was fair. That's amazing. I love that, and I really appreciate that you do that. As a, as a Tamika with an H, <laughs> I really, really, really do appreciate um, the care you take, and you know the consideration with, especially with African American uh, names, because my H means something. <laughs> And um, I've had a lot of people, you know, you have a lot of people make fun of your name, but it's true. I'm somebody's baby, and my dad, you know, as funny as I think it is, but he, you know, his thought process behind throwing that H in my name um, means something, you know. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I really do respect respect that and appreciate that. Because when you think of it, your name is your parents' first gift to you. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. My son's name is Maze, and we weren't going to name him Maze. Well, I was like, Maze? His name is Maze Ellis, and I wasn't I loved Ellis, but I wasn't crazy about Maze. My husband chose that name. And I was like, people are going to call him Corn, <laughs> and they do. But, I mean, that's his, my husband thought a lot about that. He thought long and hard about that name. And so, yeah, that that's really cool. I think that's really cool. I'll, I'll go back and read all your books now because I want to think about <laughs> the characters' names. You know, in my first book, I had so much fun naming the characters because I, I wrote it based on my own experiences as a fifth grader. And originally, I had the entire fifth grade class in that novel with actual names from my fifth grade class, but my publisher told me I would get sued. So I had to come up for each character a comparable name. Like, Mm -hmm. what is a name that has the same emotional feel as the original name, but not the same? That was a lot of fun to come up with these equivalent names. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Okay, so with all of today's events, um, the things that are happening in the black community, tragedies that we thought were, well, at least I thought, you know, in my <laughs> naivete, <laughs> thought were, were things, tragedies of the past, um, how do you decide as a writer if you're going to address that head-on in your work or if you are going to just tell your story, possibly giving people um, an escape from all of that? Well... Unfortunately, I don't think you ever can escape. Yeah. I think the head-on question, the thing about it is you can't write to the headlines. Because think about it, a novel takes so long. Like, you can't just suddenly, you know, put some police brutality in a novel that doesn't have any in it already, you know, to try to keep up with the headlines. Right. right. But I think that it's funny because the novel I'm working on now kind of has a tangential relate. I've been working on this novel five years, but it's a novel about a woman whose husband is wrongfully incarcerated and the question is whether or not she should wait on him because I mean he is wrongfully incarcerated. It's not his fault but it's not her fault either mm-hmm. and I was really puzzling over that but it's become harder to think about it now in light of you know Black Lives Matter it seems almost 
cruel to consider the question whether or not she should you know kind of dedicate her life to his plight but I realized that when you write you have to address the taboo subject and for me that kind of is the taboo subject to what extent are burdens shared across gender in the black community and what about the question of reciprocity so I am addressing what's going on today but I feel like I'm addressing it from a different angle by introducing gender into it and like what does it mean like yeah, I mean, is she throwing herself on his funeral pyre more or less, or mm -hmm. is she fighting the good fight? It came. The, this came to me because I um, overheard a conversation on the subway, and the and the um, woman said, "You know, you wouldn't have waited on me for seven years." And he said, "What are you talking about? This shit wouldn't have happened to you in the first place." <laughs> and I was like, "There, that's the conflict, right?" I feel like you have the conflict when both people have a point. But that really is the question. He never, this man never said he would wait on her, but that's not the point. Or is mm. it the point? And that's the question I'm asking. Then what is the point then? Okay. I don't even have a response. I'm I like, just take it in these chairs. I rendered speechless. Yeah. It's true, though. It's true. It's a good point. Our next question. We know that you are a Spelman alumna. Yes, I am. We were wondering how your time in that space influenced your writing. Oh, I feel that were it not for Spelman College, I would not be a writer. I would not be the woman I am today. I for I give Spelman, this is so silly, I give Spelman $100 a month and I have for years because I feel like almost like I'm tithing because I feel that Spelman taught me that not only could I be a writer but that I had something to say that was worthwhile, that was important. I studied with Pearl Clegg when I was just a teenager. I was like 17 and I was in her class. And I mean, I took so seriously my role as her student because I felt that she was living the life that I wanted to live. This was before, you know, Oprah chose her book. This is when she was just a working writer. She was publishing independently. She had like a performance project she would do once a month and she let us go to the you know see her and her husband doing this it was like not really spoken word there were words and they were spoken but and they had mm -hmm. like a um, jazz band I mean it was just amazing and it was like about living an artist's life and using art to you know connect with your community and connect with ideas connect regular people with ideas and I saw her and I thought this is exactly the life I want this is what I want to do with my life and she made me see that it was not only po possible but imperative that I do so. Mm -hmm. it, and also, you know, when I went to Spelman, I went to Spelman against my will. I didn't want to go. Um, my mother insisted that I apply, but I was from Atlanta so I didn't want to go to school in Atlanta. I felt the whole point of college was getting away from home. Hello. But, <laughs> right. um, my mother informed me that she and my father had taken jobs in Texas. She didn't tell me they were up for the jobs. And then I said, well, you don't have to leave home if home leaves you. And it was perfect because I was only 16 when I went. And just being around so many amazing women, it just it made me feel like anything that was possible for anyone to do, it was possible for a black woman to do it. I always regretted not going to Spelman, and now you've made me even more. <laughs> like I said, I went. It, I, I, my mother kind of tricked me into going. I, whenever I feel frustrated with my parents, I always remember they sent me to Spelman. It changed my life. So whatever I'm mad, whatever little thing I'm mad about, I have to get over it because that the gift of my education was the greatest gift of my life. Mm. We have one more really important question that we ask everybody on the show. It's really quick. Are you a Prince person or a Michael Jackson person? 
isn't there like some overlap in the Venn diagram? <laughs> um, yeah, if you want. But <laughs> if, if I had to choose, I probably would be more of a prince person because, you know, I'm a little bit of a tortured romantic. Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, yeah, and kind of like that articulate freakiness is very attractive to me. So <laughs> I think I am definitely a prince person. But I was a Michael Jackson person first when I was a kid. Like, I bought off the wall. But when I prince... Yeah, no, I'm going to be a Prince person because also that kind of illicitness of Prince was very exciting to me when I was a very young person. You know, I felt like I was, you could listen to Prince right in front of your parents because they wouldn't be able to decode how freaky it was. <laughs> I felt like I would belong to a secret freaky society. So I'm going to say I'm a <laughs> That might be the best answer that we've gotten to this question. <laughs> I think so. Well, we won't take up any more of your time. We appreciate this more than you will ever know. Thank you no, so much. I appreciate you. I told you I'm basically housebound. <laughs> it's so nice to get a visitor from the outside world, even though it's just on my computer. So thank you for calling. All right. Thank you, and have a good so evening. Much, thank you. Take care, y'all. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So what are you reading? I'm reading a few things. So I am reading... Um, a book called The New Puberty. It is a book about, a very interesting book about the biology and the physiological and psychological aspects of early puberty and why it happens and, you know, how to deal with it as a parent. I will not go into it on the show, but that's what I'm reading. And I'm also reading, or on audiobook, I'm listening to Loving Day by Matt Johnson. How is that on audio? Listen, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it, but because the narrator, he's great, he's actually really, really good, but he um, reads it very slowly, mm. like very slowly, and he pauses in between sentences, and I was, that is one of those ones that if I had to recommend it, um, I would ask that you take the setting to 1.5. You, it's He reads it so slowly with so many breaks, it's not even awkward. Like sometimes you speed it up and it, it takes you a little bit to get used to them because it sounds like you sped it up. Right. And in this case, I think I was over that in about a minute. Like just not two, but just 1.5 is a very steady pace for that book. And it is pretty damn funny. And um, yeah, I really like it. So those are the two things that I am reading. Nice. Yeah, I read that book a couple weeks ago, maybe closer to a month ago now. I'm, I don't know. Time is very fluid for me, but I love that book. I thought it was flipping hilarious. Yeah, you know, I've been laughing the whole time. <laughs> yeah. My oh, TBR the, list the is... is... <laughs> yeah. My TBR list is so out of control. Like, I've just been adding books and things I need to read and, like, buying books. Well, I went to the library and checked out all these books. Like, I can't I don't buy all of my books like Rich Aunt Viv over here, but, <laughs> but I do check them out, and I checked out quite a bit of them, so I want to just, I need to get through some reading this weekend, I think. Gotcha. I'm not going to call you Rich Aunt Viv anymore, but. <laughs> that was pretty flippin' funny. Um, so... What are you reading? I'm sorry, I didn't ask. What are you reading? Oh, come on. No, no, no. <laughs> I am reading currently right now but I'm not really enthused about it I'm reading um disgruntled by Asali Solomon I've never heard of it maybe 
Yes, you have. Oh my God, we talked about this in the What Are You Reading episode. Disgruntled. Tell me again. And it's about, um, it's like a coming of age story about a young girl in Philly. Who, oh, okay, 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 okay. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Young girl, so, Philly, coming of age. Yes. And so I, I didn't know that it was going to be like, uh, sort of special snowflake-ish. Uh. She ends up going to this private school and she's one of a few black kids and uh, I don't know. It's very, it hasn't hit its stride for me yet. I think I'm like 40 or 50% of the way through. But I'm not okay. giving up on it because I haven't read anything in by my standards what's a very long time. I'd actually been in a little bit of a slump the past couple weeks. Like I just I couldn't get into anything. I started and stopped like three different books. So I'm trying to power through this one. So if anybody has read anything recently that is just too hot to handle or too cold to hold, shoot the kid a email or something and let me know. I what understand. I need to get into because right now I'm just I do want to start um getting mother's body. I did get uh, a notification that Amazon dropped off that good package, so it should be awaiting me when I get home. But very cool. I want to um I've been through one of those slumps um so I know I know how you feel. It's just it's like nope nope they nope <laughs> lately, and I don't know I don't know I don't know what this apathy is, but I hope I'm not turning to one of those people who don't read. I think it's my nerves around like getting into grad school and like thinking I'm just going to have to do so much reading for that that I'm not going to have no personal time and I think I just need to get my life set. I don't know what kind of student you are but I feel like you'll be fine uh, we'll, we'll talk about that offline so <laughs> I did want to say before we go I don't do this. We don't do this enough. I wanted to ask everybody who listens to this show to please check out the work of one Christina Jones. And you and I had a brief conversation about her the other day and how she she really is a phenomenal writer. Um, she is independent. She is a great um she's a person that we've personally been able to see kind of come into her own as a you know, writer, you know what I mean? Like capital W, not a person who wants to be a writer or was an aspiring writer. She is a full-fledged writer. And she's very, very talented. And I think that one of the things that we have always talked about in, you know, in some of our own discussions, our mission statement sort of includes, you know, making sure that we give, um, I don't want to say promotion, but we, we lift up those who maybe are not, Working with main, you know, mainstream publications, or um, what am I trying to say? The people who aren't mainstream. getting the shine, basically. Right. Like, there right. are a lot of because a lot of people shit on self-publishing. Um, right. It's unfair because there are a lot of dope people out there who just don't want to deal with the machine, so they're just like, screw it, I'm gonna do it my own, uh, do it on my own rather. And right. Christina's one of those people who she's had, you know, interest from the big machine, but she wants to create experiences for her readers and she wants to control the way that she creates those experiences so she has gone the independent route and she's doing her damn thing right. um i think she's got 11 books out mm -hmm. now um and she writes typically you know contemporary fiction um she does have one book that's kind of sort of a like supernatural paranormal romance type deal she's written um 
a series that's like romance suspense um but it's it's really cool because she she does this thing where she links um her characters it it's not in overt ways like some of the series are um characters that are you know friends acquaintances whatever but then you'll see a character from one series that has nothing to do with the other sort of like pop up in some sort of way like right then the last one like one of the lawyers that was mentioned is somebody that's a lawyer in a book that she's written in another series um yeah so shout out to christina she doing her damn thing and if you, and haven't, we- if you haven't read any of her books uh i can certainly tell you which ones that you need to read that would be all of them and we and we always, you know, are pretty straight up and honest and, um, you know, no shade intended to anybody. But I, I really, um, this week, it just disturbed my spirit to see. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So please go out and check out some of uh, Christina's work. Um, she's available on Amazon.com and um, her books are not terribly expensive but they are very very good and well written and a nice when you I know I I follow some people like on Twitter who read a lot of nonfiction and a lot of really heavy stuff and then every once in a while they'll take a break and they usually take that break and reach for like Sophia Kinsella or you know but I think that if you want something that's lighter but still really good I would pick um, any of Christina's books I think so just wanted to give you also um, got a pretty poppin Facebook group uh, called Team CCJ. And when I tell you that I'm at work laughing every day at the readers and you like, cause she'll post like little snippets of things she's working on or she'll post, you know, pose a question to the readers about different characters and books or whatever. And when I say people go in for these characters and I love it so much, um, I, I just, I, I like what she's doing. Like I like that she's building a brand around making sure that she represents us in fiction. Right, right. So shout out to Christina. Shout out to her. Hopefully, we'll have her on the show another time because we 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 discussed a conversation that we'd like to have, and I'd like to include her in on it. Anyway, y'all, is that the end? Be good. That's the end. Uh, y'all be good. Keep it real. Don't hurt nobody. You guys, (laughs) please um email us your questions and comments about the show. I really want to read them. We just do it. I promise. We won't curse you out or nothing, Jesus. Just or, <laughs> or, or if there's like a book that y'all want us to discuss that we haven't discussed yet, right. let us know. Like, right. I'm pretty sure um, we're probably going to do a book-centered episode pretty soon. Again, so um, if there's anything in particular that y'all want us to talk about, please let us know. You can hit us up at betterthanthemovie at gmail.com. Drop it in our at replies on Twitter. Whatevs. All right. Okay, we're going for real this time. You guys have a, have a good week. Bye. Bye.